Hello, and welcome to the Personal Injury Law Podcast. My name is Jonathan Rosenfeld, an attorney at Rosenfeld Injury Lawyers, LLC. This podcast is here to break down the barriers when it comes to the world of personal injury law. Each podcast will go into detail about a specific legal issue or type of personal injury case, from everyday occurrences to the esoteric. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. For more information, visit my website at rosenfeldinjurylawyers.com. Hello, everybody. I am Jonathan Rosenfeld, and today on the Personal Injury Podcast, we are going to talk about dog bite injuries. And before you start rolling your eyes and say to yourself, wow, this guy's really digging deep for topics. Uh, the truth is, is that dog bites are probably one of the most common and most uh, significant type of personal injury cases out there that people in every demographic will likely experience. Uh, I was doing some intensive research prior to the podcast and I was looking at Canine Journal uh, and there are each year there are four and a half million people who are injured, uh, excuse me, are involved in dog bites and 800,000 of those people receive medical care for dog bites each year. Uh, very, very significant number. Um, if you look at that number even a little bit closer, the uh, probably the more disturbing thing is that children under 14 make up almost half of those 400,000, or excuse me, 800,000 uh, injuries. So there's almost 400,000 children out there who are injured every year in dog bite cases. And when it comes to the legal aspect of a dog bite case, you know, as I'm gonna talk with my guests about very shortly, um, the dog owner in these situations is typically responsible for the injuries their dogs may inflict uh, on a victim. So uh, as the owner of a dog, uh, this is a podcast that you want to listen to as someone who may uh, be, have been involved in a dog bite. This is also something that, you know, you're really going to want to take note of um, because at the end of the day, um, dog bites make up a very significant percentage of claims made under um, homeowners insurance policies um, here in Illinois and uh, really across the country. Um, they're really one of the most common types of claims made uh, under people's homeowners policies. And today uh, I'm really excited to have a, uh, you know, in Illinois, we can't say an expert, but I've got a very experienced attorney uh, with me who's handled many, many dog bite cases, uh, Jerry Beckerman. Uh, Jerry is a partner in Chicago at the law firm of Taxman, Pollock, Murray and Beckerman. And Jerry and his firm have handled dog bite cases uh, really across Illinois and in the Chicago area. So first off, Jerry, thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Happy to talk about the fabulous world of, uh, of dog bites. It's always ironic as a dog owner, um, 
you know, to discuss the topic, but you're, uh, you're very accurate in, in, um, in the numbers you read. I mean, these are prevalent cases. Uh, dogs bite. Uh, there's issues that happen with owning a pet, um, and there's insurance issues that apply, and there's interesting nuances in the law that apply, and uh, it's a serious topic. To begin with, uh, you know, in Illinois, the, the state legislature has the uh, Animal Control Act here. And, you know, you don't have to recite the law to us, okay? Uh, but can you sort of give us an idea of what the Animal Control Act is and um, how it applies to, um, to these situations? Um, uh, because when you're pursuing uh, any type of case, you know, any type of personal injury case, you can pursue it based on general negligence, or in some situations, there's actually a statute that applies to the, the situation. So, um, you know, can you just sort of give us a little bit of a rundown of what the Animal Control Act is in Illinois? Yeah, basically, the law says that if you own an animal, um, uh, I mean, we'll talk about it, the dog, if, if a dog, and the key word is without provocation, okay, what does that mean without provocation? So you go up to a doggy on the street and you start poking and prodding at him and the dog bites you. Well, you know, you probably don't need to do that. That's not what a reasonable person does. But um, if a dog or any other animal, we'll keep it in the context of dogs because that's most prevalent, attacks or attempt, attempts to attack you, which is another nuance, basically attacks you um, while you're peacefully conducting yourself. So instead of poking and prodding, you just start walking by a dog no reason whatsoever that dog just lunges at you in the street and takes a nice big old chunk out of your thigh all right uh the owner of that dog is liable to you the victim for any damages in the civil court that you can claim as a result of that injury um so what does that mean we talk about provocation you can't provoke the dog i mean that's a defense and you could lose on a case like that um, you got to be peacefully conducting yourself. So the example I gave is, is very a common one. It's just walking down the street and uh, a dog bites you. Or uh, the dog escapes from a fence uh, on someone's property because they left a hole, an opening or whatever. Or the dog leaves its yard and jumps into the neighbor's yard and attacks a kid. All those are um, laws that basically say that if you own that dog, you may have done nothing wrong. Okay, Your dog may have been fine, gentle pup uh, and is acting out because they're one and a half years old and you're just in your home watching the game, having a beer on the couch, your dog leaves the yard where there, there should be and goes into the neighbor's yard and bites a neighbor's kid. You as the dog's owner are liable to that child or that victim, whoever the dog bit, for their damages. Those damages are the same as in any um, damage claim in the state of Illinois. So medical bills, okay, uh, pain and suffering, loss and enjoyment of life. And oftentimes in these kind of cases, scarring, because these dog bites, the significant ones leave very serious. Scarring often require plastic surgery, revisions, things of that nature. You as a dog owner and your insurance, which is typically involved, um, are liable to the victim for those monies, even though you, as a human being, did nothing wrong other than you know going to get a dog at some point in your life. Um. You know, I, I think one of the things that comes up in a lot of dog bite cases is, first off, these typically happen, you know, either in your, in your home or in your neighborhood where you may, you know, 
this um, be walking your dog. And these typically, these claims typically involve uh, friends or family members uh, who may be at your house or in your yard. Um, and a lot of times there's a, there's a hesitation uh, involved with victims of these cases in terms of pursuing a, a claim against the dog owner. And can you talk a little bit about um, you know, what the claims process is? Because a lot of times I've spoken to people where they're like, you know what, I don't want to pursue a case against my, my relative or my, my neighbor because I, I don't want to be the bad guy. You know, I, I right. like that person. Uh, you know, um, first off, I guess, can you just sort of explain a little bit about the insurance coverage uh, for these cases? Sure. So any homeowner, typically, when you purchase homeowner's insurance and you purchase for whatever limits you have, 300000 500 a million, or whatever you and your broker or whatever you're required to by the mortgage company work with, when you purchase that insurance, dog bite protection, if you will, insurance for your pet um, is provided. So you got to disclose, say, I own a, uh, you know, a golden uh, doodle, I own a, a German Shepherd, I own this, I own that, I own a Beagle. And as part of the coverage for your homeowners, the same as if they would fall down your stairs because you didn't maintain your stairs, if they get bit by your dog, if they're acting peacefully, don't provoke it, and they're where they're supposed to be. So if you invite somebody over to your house, they're where they're supposed to be, they're not trespassing, right? And your dog inflicts damage on them by biting them. They have a claim against your insurance. So no different than if you're didn't maintain your stairs and someone falls through them and injures themselves, they could sue you and file a claim. Same thing with your dog. And it does often happen. A lot of cases are between family members or friends or uh, play dates where someone's dog you know, nipped at a child's eye. Unfortunately, now that child's got scarring under the eye the rest of their life. Um, it can be an uncomfortable topic, but honestly, that's what you have insurance for. I mean, if your dog you're paying for the insurance and your pet injures a friend or a family member and causes them great despair financially, mentally, physically, um, you probably want them to get whatever they're entitled to under the law of the state of Illinois. Um, that's why you have insurance and that's how typically the process would work. Yeah, I think a lot of times people have a misconception that, you know, they're somehow going to cause some financial hardship for the dog owner or their friend or whatever. But the truth is, is that that claim is paid by their homeowner's insurance company and there's really no money paid out of their pocket, correct? Correct. Usually the homeowner's coverage is sufficient and most most homeowner insurance coverage policies are pretty significant and are adequate to pay for the kind of injury sustained in dog bite cases. So yeah, it's not gonna be, oh gosh, I'm suing my aunt and she's going to lose everything. It really is an insurance coverage issue. Now, in some situations, unfortunately, there either is no insurance or some pets you know, are excluded. Some, uh, uh, some breeds of dog may not be applicable under the coverage. It's rare, uh, but in most scenarios, uh, insurance will cover you for injury sustained by a pet uh, if your pet bites, uh, bites somebody or injures somebody. And it doesn't have to be. It's interesting. You know, it's attacks or attempts to attacks. There's also nuances of case law and cases we've had where it sounds silly, but, you know, the dog runs at you. It doesn't bite you, but it knocks you down and uh, you break your shoulder as a result of getting, you know, bulldozed by, uh, by a German Shepherd. Well, that's the same thing. That's the Animal Control Act. That's a 
compensable cause of action your insurance would take care of, et cetera. Jerry, you're reading my mind. Uh, that's exactly what I was going to talk with you about is a situation where, you know, a non-bite injury, those are also covered. So uh, that was great. Um, I guess one of the other situations that comes up in a lot of these cases is, you know, someone may have a, a dog and it also talking about non-bite injuries, a dog may, may claw someone. And the claw injury is actually covered as well as the bite. So it's really, when we're talking about dog bites, it really encompasses anything related to a, to a dog. Um, but one of the situations that seems to come up over and over and over again in these, in these cases is scarring and, and um, really how to put a value on that. Insurance companies love to be very formulaic when it comes to valuing claims in any type of situation, whether it's car accident, you know, premises liability, but um, dog bite, whatever it is, um, they love to punch numbers into their computer and have the computer spit out a formula and, and say, hey, all right, your case is worth X amount of dollars because these are your bills and these are your lost wages and these are you know, your other um, expenses related to, to your case. But the truth is, is that dog bite cases, to look at dog bite cases exclusively based on your, uh, your economic damages is really not fair or realistic because, you know, a scar on a face for someone, especially for a young person, can really be uh, a significant uh, impediment to their life in terms of every aspect of their life from their social uh, to their vocation or whatever. So um, how, as a lawyer who handles these cases, how do you try to convey those the scarring or the you know cosmetic injuries to a an insurance adjuster or a uh, a jury if you file a case. Sure, it's a great question. Yeah, in in dog bite or animal control act cases are different because a lot of times there's not a lot of significant, if you will, medical treatment. Sure, there's there's a really big bite, deep scars. You need revision surgery. You need plastic surgery, I mean, medical bills will come up, but a lot of times they're, you know, it's a couple of thousand dollar trip to the ER, but now all of a sudden you have a huge scar running across your face uh, and you're 28 years old, right? Or you're 15 years old and those scars are permanent. So how do we value those? Well, we have um, opinions from plastic surgeons to decide is this fixable? You know, if it's fixable, what kind of treatment is it? Is it a lifetime of putting creams on your face or is it legitimate plastic surgery? Can we skin graft from a different part of your body to try to fix the wound? Um, and there's all sorts of variables. So oftentimes though, these are not fixable injuries and it does come down to the scarring, right? So what is the effect of the scarring? Is that victim seeking psychological treatment because they're so embarrassed to show their face, show their arm, show their leg? If they have a huge dog bite on their calf, are they afraid to take off their pants? Um, you know, for fear of uh, mockery. Uh, those are all really serious non-economic damages. They go to emotional distress. They go to uh, traumatic experiences. And we as lawyers, our job is to maximize that value. How do we do that? Witness testimony, person's testimony, psychiatric testimony, right? All those things, uh, you can't be more than just a medical bill on a piece of paper. And just because you're still 
at work. You didn't lose time from your job because you have a dog bite. doesn't mean that every day you're at work, you're self-conscious about how people at the office perceive you with uh, the scar on your arm or on your face. So our job as lawyers is to really explain that and make a sympathetic argument to a jury supported by whatever evidence we can find. And, and a lot of times those awards do become very significant for the right person. I mean, if you are tattooed head to toe with, uh, you know, skulls and bones and you have a little scratch on your arm from a, from a Rottweiler bite, it's probably not going to be too dramatic for you. But if you're a you know, 21 year old female, um, there was a scar on her face, it's going to be permanent. You think that's going to affect your ability to date, to find a job, to, wear makeup or dress and all that for the rest of your life. I mean, that, that's really serious and it warrants significant compensation. Very, very good points. Um, you know, I think, you know, movie stars aside, uh, you know, these, these cases really are, can be significant um, and impact people. And I think, you know, we talked um, in an earlier podcast about the importance of photographs um, photographs in a dog bite case are, are probably one of the most important pieces of evidence out there, you know, and if anyone ever is involved in a dog bite case, um, taking a, a cell phone picture of the immediate, you know, uh, bite wounds, um, you know, at the scene, at the hospital, um, that's really important. And, you know, I think you'd also agree that maybe given the right situation, you know, getting a professional photographer out there after the scar may have healed, you know, may have keloided or something, um, is also important to really help convey, you know, the full extent of the injury. So, um, you know, that's, I think that's something that is important. And I've seen you do this, you know, repeatedly on these cases. Yeah, we get professional photographers and we do every three months, every six months, we kind of track the progression of the scarring. Um, insurance companies usually want to see a picture, you know, a year out or so. After a year, you kind of know what's possible, what's not. We'll supplement that with any plastic surgery opinions or options for revision surgery or improvement. But um, typically after a year or so, the photos, you know, they don't go away. But you also want to document how bad it was at the beginning. A lot of times things do improve. I mean, we've had some really grotesque, gruesome photographs, um, and in a year or two, it really gets a lot better. But you went through that as the victim. You had to live with that grotesque bite, with that chunk of your skin missing, or um, surgical revision you had to go through. We document that because that shouldn't be forgotten. That's compensable. It goes to the emotional trauma you sustained. It goes to uh, the physical pain you sustained, and th that evidence is very, very important. Jerry, uh, again, this is not necessarily the sexiest personal injury topic out there, but this is really good information, really useful information, and you did a great job breaking it down for us. So thank you for joining me today, and uh, I look forward to, to talking with you again. Absolutely. Just remember, don't provoke those dogs. Nothing good could happen. And I appreciate your time, John, and happy to talk about this and any other topic with you. Thank you for listening to the Personal Injury Law Podcast. I'm Jonathan Rosenfeld. If you or anyone you know would like more information on any of the topics on the podcast, please visit my website at rosenfeldinjurylawyers.com. If you like the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app.
please feel free to rate the show and leave a review. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.